So while he's getting that, you know, you all have been under an assignment from a week ago. That now, now Jonathan was confessing to us about what happened on his assignment uh, to go out and, and pray for people's healings and talk about the kingdom of God with them. And I've gotten a couple of reports back already of how God has been using people. It can take place in the most interesting places. You can just be hanging out with a friend or you can be uh, at a restaurant. You can be playing pickleball. All kinds of things can be happening. And all of a sudden, the Lord puts you in a spot where you're going to say, hey, can I pray for you? And so, by the way, Jonathan, don't worry about it. Uh, we all love you. And, you know, your confession that you're the worst evangelist ever. Um, <laughs> you know what? When I got out of seminary, I couldn't lead anyone to Christ either. I, it, God had to send me to a Filipino church to actually be able to share my faith. But I think actually you do a great job of sharing your faith and ministering to people. And so, no, you're not the worst evangelist ever. You're, you're right where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. And I can't tell you how thankful we are here in KPC for you, Jonathan. Yes, they like you. They really, really like you. <laughs> so I'm going to jump right into the passage for today, which is Isaiah 64, 4 through 6. You may have noticed that I, I went past the, the Psalm of Ascension today just because I thought we have a whole lot to get done today. And so we will pick that up next week. But today, Isaiah 64, 4 through 6, the passage says, Since ancient times no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the, to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And this is the passage for today. I tell you, this week I was in my office because I, I pray, as you know, actually like baking cookies. Um, I seek the Lord every week, saying, Lord, what am I supposed to preach? And every once in a while I get kind of desperate because the Lord's not saying anything. And I go, okay, okay, there's a sermon due, Lord. I can't get up on stage and go, I, he didn't give me anything. Sorry, it's just not acceptable. And so I was in my office this week, and I was in there, you know, it's starting to hit. I got a, Lord, I got a deadline to hit here. I've got to, I've got to do something, Lord. You've got to do something. It's like I've let you know I pray every week, ask God what I'm supposed to preach. And I just got this thing in my heart that I was supposed to come in here and put my face on the carpet and seek him out. And then I got a, an image in my mind of a dream that, Someone very close to me had at one time. I won't go into the dream, but I, I knew where we were supposed to head today. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, it, it's an intense passage that we're going to get into here. Let me pray for this sermon. We'll jump in. Father God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us and the ways you minister to our hearts. Now, Lord God, would you minister to us, please, in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump back into verse 4 which says that since ancient times no one has heard nor ear perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So no, there is no God like Yahweh. He's amazing. I am who I am, the only one. But it's interesting. Why hasn't anyone since ancient times heard, perceived, or seen any God besides Yahweh? Well, God is just so amazing. This God who loves you. And think about it. 
He has made it very clear. If you read the scriptures the way I read them, if you're reading the Bible, I look at all of the Bible as this like massive love letter from God to us. And it's like all throughout it, he constantly is saying, I love you and I love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't point out things we do wrong. But, and and I'm not saying this in any way to make fun of anyone, but frankly, I've never heard Muslims say, Allah loves you. I've never heard anyone who follows Buddha say, Buddha loves you. Or the universe loves you. For all those who think that it's just the universe has power and the universe is controlling everything. Or the Tao. The Tao doesn't love you. No, for those who believe in karma. Karma is an inanimate thing. People believe in instant karma and all this kind of stuff. But karma doesn't love anybody. We don't believe in karma. We believe in the living God. And in the heart of God is this amazing love for you. And he's never stopped. He never stopped loving you. In fact, he loved you before you even existed. He knew you were coming onto the planet. He knew exactly who he's going to create you to be. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he put you together exactly how he's called you to be. He's given you gifts exactly the way he wants you to have them. But again, it's this interesting statement of no eye has seen, you know, hasn't heard, we haven't perceived. And Isaiah has pointed out the clue that we need to hear and perceive that what God is saying. That's what he's saying is hear it and perceive it. Allow it to go into your heart. Allow it to go into your mind. And if you're struggling with it, allow God to explain these things to you. You can hear something, but not perceive and understand it. God speaks in riddles and dreams and visions. Don't be surprised. You have a dream, you just kind of know it's from God. And one of the ways you know a dream's from God is you know that you know it's from God. Uh, It sticks with you. For me, like with dreams, and this isn't a sermon about dreams, but when I get dreams from the Lord, they stick with me. They won't go away. I'll write them down, and then I have a journal. I write down experiences with God. It's kind of my little stack of stones, and I write my dreams in them that I feel are from the Lord. If I start reading the first line, the whole dream comes back. I'm like, oh, yeah. Even John Calvin wrote this in his commentaries that you know when the Lord's speaking to you because it's different. It's, he's, he's putting it on your heart. How many of you right now want to go, I confess, I never believe that John Calvin ever wrote a thing about a dream. But most people think John Calvin's kind of cold-hearted. He's not. He's actually in love with God. He's written a whole ton on how the Spirit moves. But sometimes God can speak plainly and we struggle to take it in. You see, this verse goes on to say that God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. For how many of you does that just not acceptable? I mean, come on, let's face it. I've got times when I want God to move and he needs to get with it. I gave a prayer and I'm not seeing him get with it. It's true. I've done it too. Lord, yesterday would have been good. The day before that, better. And you're not moving, right? God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Wait here is the Hebrew chaka, meaning to wait for, to long for, to tarry. Why wait? Because God does everything in accord with his purpose in his time. Everything's done according to the purpose of God. He always sticks to his purpose. You know, many of the prayers you've ever issued to the Lord were actually God putting the prayer inside of you. putting it inside your heart, your mind, and you say, Lord, I need to bring this before you. 
Sometimes you have to stop and go, wait a minute, how did that enter my mind? It was the Lord. Think about Habakkuk's word in Habakkuk 2.3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. How many of you have read that verse before? But you've got to sit it. You've got to let this thing sink into your being. And you go, oh my goodness. When the Lord gives things, when the Lord gives a dream, when he gives a word, even sometimes when you're reading scripture, how many of you have ever read a scripture? You, were, you, you enjoyed the scripture. But like five years later, you read it again. You go, oh my goodness. I can't believe this scripture is intense. And the Spirit of God suddenly brings it to life in front of you. Oh my goodness. Well, it's because it's for an appointed time. It's for you to, to get this scripture and the Spirit of God breathes life into this inside of you. Yes, it's been there before, but now it's like, oh, I've never, I've never seen how intense this thing is. This is amazing. Again, the revelation awaits an appointed time. How many of you have received a dream or a prophetic word that didn't come to pass for a year or two or 10 or 20? I've been privy to dreams that people have had that didn't come to pass for 20 years, but they were confirmations at that 20-year mark. So you wait for the Lord. You wait for his appointed times. If you don't get something, that's okay. Whatever you do, when the Lord gives you something, you don't get it, don't throw it away. Hold on to it. Say, Lord, I'll wait. I want you to give me the meaning of this. You see, when it, when it says in Isaiah that God acts on behalf of those who wait for him, it's not just about dreams and visions. It's, it's about life. The opposite of waiting on the Lord is to take matters into our own hands. Lord, I'm not going to wait. This has to get done. If you can't see how important it is, I guess I'll do it. Can anybody say the name Ishmael? <laughs> Because Abraham and Sarah went, well, the Lord made a promise, so I guess we have to make this promise come to pass. The name they were looking for was Isaac. We got Ishmael, and there's been interesting things in world history ever since. God loves these people, but Ishmael was not the promised one. That's a, a case of somebody saying, we've got to bring this prophetic word to pass. It, I'll just say right now, I've also heard prophetic people say, you know, the reason why a prophetic word didn't come out is because you didn't pray it in. And I think, if God issued the word, I can pray for it, but God's the one who makes something happen. If he makes a promise, he's the one who has to fulfill it. He'll let me know if I have to take part in this thing. If, if there's some element where I'm supposed to be involved, he'll tell me. If it's contingent on me, he'll tell me. But I've never fallen for the you got a prophetic word and you just didn't pray it in enough. I mean, those type of things, it's a scapegoat if you ask me. So, the opposite of waiting on the Lord is to take matters in our own hands. We usually think that we're right in our plans and our ways, right? How many, have seen, how many of you have seen people who come up with a plan and God's supposed to bless the plan? We came up with a great plan. You know, it might be a great, God probably even goes, that's a really good plan. It's just not my plan. So he's not going to bless it. But we do this with God. We come up with human plans and God's supposed to take care of it. God's supposed to do what I want him to do. And that's just not the way God moves. Yes, he loves your heart and there's many things he's put in your heart and he'll interact with your heart. But again, we, we think we're right in our plans and our ways. 
We can boil down Christianity to, and I've heard it before, Christianity for some is believe in Jesus and then sin management. I'm going to believe in Jesus and then I'm going to do everything I can just so I don't sin. And that becomes like the totality of the Christian life. How many of you would say there's a whole lot more to Christianity and the faith than just believing in Jesus and then trying not to sin? Not sinning is a very important thing, by the way. I'm not making fun of it. And we all struggle with it. Uh, there's, we're Presbyterians. We hold to the forms of Calvinism. And in Calvinism, we hold to the, the five points of Calvinism. Number one is total depravity, which means that it, total depravity teaches that every part of our being has been corrupted by sin, by Adam's sin. It doesn't mean that somebody can't do a good thing. That's not the point. It's just, you know what? There's sin in the system. You wonder why it is that the terms of the covenant through communion need to go hit every single cell? Because our being has been corrupted by sin. And so we do choose wrong things, but that's not all of Christianity is. I'm going to believe in Jesus and then be a good person and try your hardest not to sin. Yeah, I'm going to try really hard not to sin. But have you ever noticed sometimes when you put just all your effort into not sinning, you fail? like, God, you know, you get into Paul's thing where he says, how come, God, I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I know that I should do, I don't do those things? You know, love that confession by Paul. St. Augustine kind of gave the same kind of a confession. And this is part of life. So we're really talking about living a righteous life with God, right? When we think of righteousness, and many times when righteousness is brought up in the scriptures, it's about doing that which is moral. And for God, that's keeping the things that he's written. It's living the life that he's wanting you to live. You read the Ten Commandments. Yeah, try to keep the Ten Commandments. They're fabulous. You read the things of Jesus. You try to do the things of Jesus, right? And so we try to do that which is morally right. That is righteousness. That is a definition of righteousness. But you know what's interesting is one of the most moral groups you could run into are the Pharisees, and they bumped heads with Jesus on this issue. Think about Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. By the way, some Pharisees could hear him tell the parable. They understood he was talking about him. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14, Jesus said this, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Don't you love the way the scriptures just lay it out? It's like God's like, here, I'll just spell it out for you. Because there's not only his disciples listening, but if you go back in Luke, you'll find out there's a Pharisee sitting there too. Every once in a while, they perceive that he's talking about him. It, it says at the past, they perceived he was talking about him. It's like, yeah, did they get the clue though? So here's the deal. To some, Jesus says, it says in the passage, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Jesus isn't making fun of tithing or of fasting. That's not the point. It's the whole attitude of this Pharisee. Because Jesus goes on to say this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. So imagine if it's in here, the Pharisee's going to come right up here and the 
the tax collector's in the back somewhere or over to the side, doesn't feel even worthy to get near the stairs or anything like that. And that's when this guy's going, yeah, Lord, I, I've got this going on. I keep your law. And I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. But Jesus goes on, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus, this isn't the way to make friends and influence Pharisees. <laughs> Just not. <laughs> but it is a way to make a point to them. <laughs> Did you hear what Jesus talked about on righteousness? Righteousness is not trying to be as good as you can be and then pointing out the problems with everybody else. You see, let me take you back to Isaiah 64, 6. In verse 6, that passage in Isaiah went on to say, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Another version says, our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Hear it. It's not saying that righteousness is a bad thing. The key word there is our. My righteousness. When I think I'm doing an amazing job at being more righteous than everybody else because I've got this together and I'm following God and I've got the rules down and everybody else is just blowing it. Our righteousness then becomes like filthy rags. My righteousnesses become like filthy rags before the living God. Okay, so I'm trying to live a righteous life that pleases God. What does he want? And at this point, you go, what do you want, God? I thought that was the whole thing. I'm just supposed to, I'm trying to do the righteous thing. Well, let's talk about righteousness. This is, I, listen to this. This is what Paul wrote in Romans. Romans 4, 1 through 3. Paul wrote this by the Spirit of God. What shall we say then about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the heart of righteousness. To be righteous, in God's eyes, is to believe in him. It's to believe what he says. That is the very beginning of righteousness. When you read the Bible, do you believe what it says? That's righteousness before God. If you've ever just opened the Bible, you're doing your daily reading, and you're reading through, maybe you're in the Psalms, maybe you're in the Gospels, maybe somewhere else, and you read it, and you go, huh, that's pretty cool. God goes, righteousness right there. That's righteousness. You believe my word. Righteousness. You don't feel all that righteous right then, do you? Well, God, I just read it, you know? Yeah, I believe you said it, but, you know, I haven't done it yet. And God's going, no, but this is where it begins. You believed, and God calls it righteous. Again, listen to what Paul wrote. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Do you believe God's promises? Do you believe what it says about God? This is righteousness with God. One of my favorite stories came from Dr. Jack Deere, where he said he talked to a pastor, an underground pastor from China. 
He said this, he asked him a question. He said, hey, I've been hearing that there's like just thousands of underground house churches and that you're seeing the power of God pouring out. I mean, healings and people being raised from the dead. And he looked at the Chinese pastor and said, is it true? And the pastor said, yeah, it's true. I don't know where they were meeting when he asked them this, but he said, why do you think it is that you see that happening there and we don't see it in the U.S.? And the Chinese pastor said, oh, that's really simple. He said, it, what? It is. Now, understand it's a play on words that I'm about to do for you. Because remember that we read from le left to right. In Chinese, in Chinese, you read from top to bottom. So the pastor looked at Jack Deere and said this. Well, it's the difference in how we read the scriptures. You see, when you read the scriptures, you read them like this. When we read the scriptures, we read them like this. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, how many times now? Wait for the Holy Spirit to challenge you one day. You're reading the scriptures. He's going to go, are you reading it like this? <laughs> John 14, 12, anyone who believes in me will do the works I have done, greater works than these. <laughs> no age limit, no gender limit. It's anyone who believes in me, do you read it like this? Wow, that's really cool. I wonder when I'm going to be able to do all that. Maybe he's already done it. Maybe God's already baking cookies and I'm missing out. I don't even smell them. God, I'm not even in the kitchen, am I? <laughs> I'm just like, just drag me in there, God. That's one of the things you can pray. God, just drag me into the kitchen. You don't have to drag me into kitchens, you can tell. Anyway, so um, I find my way there regularly. I love kitchens. I love cooking. In fact, do you all know, I've had someone ask me, they go, you actually do the grocery shopping for your family? I go, yeah. Why would you want to go to the grocery store? I said, well, think about what they sell. They sell food there. <laughs> Love the place. Way off course on the sermon at this point in time. Let's see. Let's see if I can redeem the time. So an application. Here we go. I need to let you know that this issue we're preaching about, the righteousness before God, that it's about believing God, is one of the key items that brought about the Reformation in the 1500s. Martin Luther was struggling with the term righteousness of God. Back when he was a monk. Whenever he thought about the righteousness of God, he pictured a righteous God who would judge him and punish him if he didn't measure up on judgment day. He even writes in his own words that he got to the point where he was hating God. Then he had what he called his tower experience. When he came to realize that the righteousness of God is a gift from God. It's not something you try to live up to and you're going to fail and God's going to nail you on judgment day. Instead, it's a gift that God puts inside of you. Righteousness is living a right life with God. We cannot produce righteousness. So how do we get it? In our relationship with God, we connect with Him through faith. We become righteous because we are in Him. That's where the righteousness starts. Think about this compound name of God. If you've ever heard of Jehovah Sid Canoe, it's out of Jeremiah 23, 6. It translates into English, God, our righteousness. So what happens is, is, you see, you entered into a relationship with God. You plugged into him. You didn't start generating, oh, I've got to be righteous for God. Maybe you, I, here's the deal. If you're doing this where you're going, I just have to be more righteous for God. Get off the treadmill right now. 
And what you're going to do is say, God, I'm connected to you. You are my righteousness, living God. You're the righteous God. And as I plug into you, I want your righteousness to flow into me. As Jack Deere taught another time, he said, you know what? When I get closer to Jesus, as I enjoy him, as I sing to him, as I love being in his presence, I find that sin begins to fall away. When I get further from Jesus, I find that sin starts to attack. It starts to take over my heart. I start having desires for it. And so here's the deal. You know what Satan wants to do with you? He wants to get you as far away from Jesus as he can get you. You may have a relationship with him. He wants you to get to the point of going, I'm just a little, I'm a little bugged at Jesus right now. And Satan's going, yeah, that's where I want you, all right. Rather than you go, God, I am really sorry. I'm feeling a little distance. I need to get closer to you because this is where righteousness comes from. This is how it works. God is righteous. He puts faith in your heart. You believe what he says. He calls it righteousness. You live in him. His righteousness fills you. And then you begin, because that righteousness in you, you begin to actually walk with him. And you begin to live in him. And you start going, what do you want me to do? How do I do this? I want to do what you want. And don't sit there and make some list of sins and go, okay, I've got the list of sins. I've got to stay away from those. Instead, go, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to go where you go. I want to do it when you do it. And I know that your righteousness will fill him. You live in him. His righteousness fills you. You get rid of the rags of your own righteousness or what you think is right. Because you're connected to him, you start living a life that is right with God. And I'll close with Song of Solomon. All right, Psalm 45. Sorry, Psalm 45, 7 through 8. As the psalmist wrote, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Here's the deal. You walk with Jesus Christ. You continue to connect with him. And by the way, if you're having struggles in your quiet times, this is one of the things I advise a lot of people in their quiet times. Sing to him. If, you're, if you feel like praying, you're hitting the rock pile, oh God, I've got more things I need to pray for, then stop and begin to sing a simple song to him. See if your heart doesn't reconnect to him again while you're singing. If you don't like singing, hum to him. I don't care. But just connect with him. If you need to just sit quietly in his presence, go, God, I'm not even going to bring a laundry list. I just want to sit here with you for a couple of minutes. Yes, I know. We all are different, right? I know of intercessors who can sit with God for six or seven hours. It feels like five minutes to them. And then I know the rest of us that feel like five minutes is five hours. And so, you know what? God doesn't care if you give him five hours or or five minutes. He's made each of you differently. So don't get guilt trips. If you hear someone say, I just spent 10 hours with God, go fabulous. And, And bless them. They're intercessors. They can spend that kind of time. You know what? And if you're saying, I'm not going to say it, but I only got like 10 minutes with God. You know what God says? Yeah, I got 10 minutes with you. How many of you have grandkids or kids and you just wish they'd give you a five-minute phone call? Are you happy when they call? How do you think God feels? You gave him five minutes? I'm not saying five minutes and I'm out of here. I'm there. No. Sing to him, enjoy him, love him. His righteousness will flow into you. Get off the treadmill. This isn't about my righteousness or your righteousnesses. It's about God filling your heart. So if you aren't feeling right with God right now, maybe you just need to go before him as we're closing with music. Come on up, team. And you just need to say, God, I'm sorry for the times. I've looked at your word or you've, you've given a promise and I shook my head. 
You said something about yourself in the scriptures, and I shook my head. God, I believe. And when you say that to him, he goes, righteousness right there. Righteousness. The rest flows from that. I hope you feel free. I hope you know how much God loves you. Because God never put you on the treadmill. We do that ourselves. I've got to earn for God to love me. Brothers and sisters, guess what? You cannot earn the love of God. Not one of you got God's love because you did something right and then God loved you. God loved you before then. He's always loved you. By the way, what can separate you from the love of God? Those of you who are doing deliverance ministry, you know the answer to this question. Maybe any of you have read the scriptures. Nothing! There's no demon on this planet or in the heavenlies. Even Satan himself cannot keep God from loving you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. May God bless you. Lord God, bless my brothers and sisters. Lord God, we don't want to sin. But we always just get on this treadmill where we try to be better and better and better and better and then we beat ourselves up because we ask your forgiveness for the same sin about 10,000 times. And then you come and you say, get off the treadmill. Let me love you. Let me remove the filthy rags from you. And then the Lord clothes you in like this white garment that you didn't earn. Because he loves you. And he pours righteousness into your heart. And he says, come back to true righteousness. Believe me. Hear my voice. Let me love you. And now walk with me. Because Lord God, you know I start to pull. And, and then I get upset that I've got some kind of a chain around my neck. But really it's this beautiful connection to you. And you feel me. You are Jehovah Sid Canoe, you are God our righteousness. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.